The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, Ford News and Rumors, a 12-rotor big block Chevy, EV tire wear, and Gran Turismo the movie. Plus, part two of our interview with Sean Mathis, founder of Miles Through Time Museum. All that and a whole bunch more informed of automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident Carnot, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. Tim, how you doing today, man? I'm good, Bud. I'm good. Let's talk about Labor Day for a minute. Right. A brief well, history. Brief history of Labor Day. It's a, you, you first. Know, Go ahead. Federal holiday in the United States celebrated on the first Monday in September to honor and recognize the American labor movement and the contributions of laborers to the achievements of the United States. That's awesome. Uh, it is. And beginning in the 19th century, as the trade union and labor movements grew, uh, trade unionists uh, proposed a day that would, you know, celebrate labor. Mm-hmm. You know, the blue-collar guys. Yeah, right. And, and they fought uh, that, didn't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in 1887, Oregon was the first state of the United States to make it an official holiday. By the time it became official, an official federal holiday in 1894, 30 states in the U.S. officially celebrated Labor Day. Oh, well, but they only, uh, when when they passed the federal law, they only made it a holiday for federal workers. Yeah, Grover Cleveland, when he signed the, 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 uh, the thing into a federal law, and that didn't set well with the unions, so they started encouraging workers to... Go on strike. Yeah. You know, the 30s were a tumultuous time in America for the labor movement. Well, now we have Labor Day. Yes, we do. And it's a good time to honor, you know, the like I say, the laborers, the um, the folks that come and fix your air conditioning, your mm-hmm. plumbing, your car, right. and build your houses exactly. and, and things like that. Uh in 1909, the American Federation of Labor Convention designated the Sunday preceding Labor Day as a Labor Sunday. Uh, that didn't catch any tra- traction, and uh, some some churches still acknowledge it, though. So, interesting stuff. Here's the goofy, the goofy custom that went on back then. To start a business or better yourself, you took out a loan, you worked hard, and you paid it back. Wow. What a concept! Who would have <laughs> thought that would ever work? Well, thank you, Mr. Historian. That was very good. God That's bless good. all you working folks. All right. That's absolutely right. All right, so Ford, news and rumors. That's a, a section we look, a, a segment we look forward to every month, and we've got the man from Ford, Green Ford, here in the house with us. That would be Aaron Hughes. Aaron, welcome back in to Bud's Scratch. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we doing? We're doing wonderful. Hey, good. How's it going, Aaron? Good. Oh, Tim's on the road again. <laughs> working all the time. They have announced a couple new internal combustion engines on the on the blue side of Ford here. Yeah. A 6.8 gas and a 6.7 HO power stroke diesel. And the, the existing Godzilla engine's been out there for, what, six months now? No, it's been out there a little while, a little while, about a year and a half. I think. These are yeah. all push rod engines, right? They are. All of the what you're speaking of right now is uh, on the Super Duty side of things. Sure, so you're talking yeah. about bigger trucks. 
Um, for, what, what is what is what is designated super duty? Um, uh, the super duties are going to be uh, well, what you guys used to call uh, uh, one ton trucks. Okay, so is that yeah, an F three fifty? F three fifty is a super duty. Two fifties, four fifties. Yeah, two fifty, three fifty, four duty. Uh, a 50, and when you get over that, they start to call them heavy duty, which would be commercial vehicles. Okay. Right. So, yeah, Super Duty would be still uh, capable of doing commercial things um, if, if you have a business, um, you know, but not looking at, like, uh, you know, over-the-road type of stuff. Sure. So, so huge towing capacity. So, um, you know, people that have farms or fifth wheels, things like that. Um, these are these would be the the vehicles and the engines we're talking about. Um, the six point eight is a uh, and what's interesting is both of the gas engines, the seven three, the Godzilla that you talked about, which was a big deal, and we talked about a few years ago um, when it came out being a pushrod engine, um, and the six uh, the six eight is also a pushrod engine, so that's kind of cool. Um, and then when you get into the diesel ones, you've got your six seven, which is if you're if you're towing a substantial substantial amount or using a gooseneck or fifth wheel hitch, the six seven is definitely the standard. Uh, and then this year they have come out with the new six seven, the high output. So both of those are obviously basically the same engine platform. One has a substantial amount more horsepower. When you start looking at the six point eight gas engine versus the Godzilla. Uh, both are, uh, you know, pushrod engines, which is kind of cool. Ford's really, really put some some work into that. I mean, technically, they're all pushrod engines. Well, really. no, but they they oh, had to do yeah. that because of the uh, because of the camper market. Uh, yeah. par- apparently, yeah. you know, these engines with overhead cams, it's a great idea and all that, but they're pretty wide up on top, and it takes up a lot of area in it the really frame in the engine compartment. It, it yeah. really does, and and the pushrod engines are just a, a good, reliable, uh, you know, good, reliable engine. And when you get in the six eight, well, you're looking that, at the, uh, yeah. Go ahead. That F, that F-53 uh, motorhome chassis is the most popular motorhome chassis on the market. That's right, and yes. That's, uh, that's a Ford product. It's and true. I could order one of those chassis from you directly. Bear, right? Just a yeah. running chassis. You sure can. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about some of these engines, you're looking at uh, even with the uh, 6.8 uh, V8 uh, gas engine, that thing's 400 horsepower. Um, 445 uh, foot-pounds of torque, and you get in the 7.3s a little bit more, uh, where you've got the 430 horsepower and then the 485 uh, foot-pounds of torque. So if you're uh, in the gas uh, engine world where you, you're saving the fuel uh, money and if you're towing a trailer that's, you know, say 10, 11,000 um, pounds, that's a wonderful way to go. But if you get into heavier stuff and you want into the diesel engines, that's when you really it gets interesting because a 6.7 goes up to the 475 horsepower, and the high output goes to 500 horsepower, but here's where it gets interesting. When you're towing, the 6.7 has 1,050 foot-pounds of torque, and the new high output is 1,200 foot-pounds of torque. Wow. So it, it's uh, the torque is almost three times as much when you go up to the high output versus the 6.8 engine, which, you know, when you if for people that don't know, when you're towing uh, you know, when you're starting from a stop, you got to get that thing moving, and that's where the torque comes in. And, and I, I have uh, one of my uh, salespeople recently who who also does horses and cows. Actually, he doesn't do horses. He does cows and pigs and goats and a lot of livestock. Oh, uh, Jamie. S- James, yeah. Jamie. yeah. I'm James. talking about James, yeah. And he uh, he just bought one of the high outputs, and, and he was towing that thing to Moultrie with his big gooseneck the other day. said he forgot it was back there. It's, he loves it, just absolutely loves it. Well, he cool. All right. Yep. Tim, are you sitting down driving? 
Yes, I am sitting. Okay, well, we're, we're going to talk about Ford's latest patent here, so you may pay attention. This is my favorite part okay. about coming in here, because this is when I get to see all the crazy stuff that you guys have been researching, and I'm always, uh, I, it's always news to me. I like it. Okay, let's talk about the latest patent for the Ford Bronco. The latest patent for the Ford Bronco that Ford has filed for. Application, there you go. And they've applied for this patent is a stand-up remote control system in your Bronco. So you can actually stand up with your head outside of the vehicle when you're doing very slow. Looking up through the roof. Looking out out through the roof, that's right. Um, uh, Yeah, so you could use your remote uh, system. So if you're doing rock crawling or very, very slow speed uh, off-roading, you don't have to have a separate spotter. You can actually stand up through the roof yourself and use the manual controls, like I say, a remote control system, uh, to, to move the vehicle. Uh, I don't know the yeah, level of demand that people would need for this vehicle. Just add alcohol. <laughs> that's, that's all you need. Very well, interesting. They yeah. do have a cooler available for the Ford Broncos, actually. But and the, a safe that bolts uh, to the frame. The, the the interesting thing about the picture that sticks up immediately is the guy in the Bronco who is standing up. And I'm thinking, as you're standing up and you're managing to flop your Bronco over on its roof because you're rock crawling with it, uh, should you duck? It seems like, yeah, you're going to have to duck. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to duck below the roll bar. Uh, the thing that strikes me about the picture is the fact the guy's wearing a collared shirt, to be honest with you. I, I can't imagine oh, rock yeah. crawling with a collared shirt. I, I, I got to agree with that. No backward, <laughs> no backward hats. Uh, no, uh, no. He's wearing a collared short sleeve shirt in the uh, patent application. And there's no mention of him hollering, hold my beer and watch this. No, 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 no mention at all in, in the... Uh, in the drawing, the artist rendering. I don't know. I don't. I don't know who who these people are in the cubicles that are that are figuring this stuff out. Um, Ford has announced a new F one fifty on the horizon. What? Yep. Wh- how? This is the biggest selling truck on the planet. It is right. And uh, what's what's so new about the F one? What well, are they going to do to make it new? Let's I'll tell you. Way. You know, they've had they had a big upgrade a couple of years ago, um, going to the much larger screen and a lot of interior features of the vehicle. They made a few adjustments in the body, but that was also when they came out with the hybrid engine. So the hybrid engine allowed for all of the, uh, you know, the power pack things where you can, uh, you know, you have all the electric on board power. We've seen the commercials where you can actually power your house with the thing. It has so much power. It has right, two yeah. separate circuits in that. That was the last uh, big redesign. The new one, I think, is just going to expand on that. Um, all the features that make it the number one selling vehicle in America are just going to be... They just keep pushing forward. They just keep adding more, and, and the, the, the F-150s just keep getting better and better after year after year. Any mention of a third-row seat in the F-150s? Not that I've heard about. But that's that uh, seems to be uh, uh, a talked-about thing now nowadays where you can get six people in, a, in, well, you know, in the truck with a fold-down type seat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have not heard anything about that. Um, well, you we're know, starting I, a rumor think, here. That's what well, we're I know. That's, that is what you guys do. That's yeah. kind of your thing. Yeah. Um, you know the beds now uh, on the truck to do that. Obviously, you would, you would sacrifice. Bed, yeah. You know, you, you go with the shorter bed. But to be honest with you, so many people don't use a truck like a truck anymore. Especially these really high end trucks don't even have a scratch in the bed. People have 
put, you know, pine straw and mulch in it. That's the only thing that's ever been in the back of it. And uh, I would say they'd put their trash and take it to the dump, but those are the people that have trash pickups, so they don't even put trash in it. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think they could probably get by with a shorter bed and be able to haul, uh, haul the kids around um, and, and go to the baseball oh, yeah. games and stuff. Okay. But I've, I've not heard or seen anything about a third row. Uh, well, F1 we're going to start the rumor for that's, you. Okay? That's fantastic. <laughs> wonderful. Right. How do folks learn more about all the stuff that's going on at Green Ford? Uh, check out greenford.net. Um, or come see us in uh, 2365 Brownsbridge Road in Gainesville, 770-532-5620. Ask for Aaron. I'll be glad to help you. And for the, for the, in the meantime, if you see anybody driving around with their head up, you know, stuck up through the roof, yeah. it's probably Tim and his escape with the sunroof. And, uh, it probably is, you know, yeah. Just, just got a stogie going. <laughs> it's, it's probably Tim with a stogie. And stay out of his way. That's all we can tell you. <laughs> for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the transportation automotive and transportation technology programs that are available at Lanier Technical College uh, here in Gainesville, Georgia. They have five campuses, and uh, a lot of this particular segment of instruction is at the main campus, which is in, uh, which is in Gainesville. You may not have a race car or an interest in marine engines or an interest in diesel stuff or truck driving or any of that, but at some point in your life, you're probably going to have a fender bender. And... You're going to have to go to a shop and get it repaired properly so it's safe and it, you know, is usable uh, to drive and, you know, is back on the road looking the way you want it to look. Well, where do you find those guys? Where do you find those guys and where do they get trained? Well, one of the places they can get trained is at uh, Lanier Technical College. In their automotive collision repair program, it is a very, very, very hands-on program. Uh, They can get a diploma and they can get a certificate as a... Certificate Class 1, which is a uh, Class 1 technician or Class 2 technician in automotive repairs. And we're talking for the body shop. So when you get involved in, in a body shop, you've got to be able to straighten frames. You've got to be able to do electrical stuff. You've got to be able to do AC stuff because these components oftentimes get banged up in a collision. So there's more to it than just painting the car, but they get a broad spectrum of that. And it is very, very hands-on. The instructor is out there with them. Uh, if you go to LanierTech.edu and go to the collision program, they've got an excellent video. And the students are talking about the program and some of the things they do in it. And you can see in the background what's actually going on. So give it, give it some consideration. You may not want to be a collision repair person, but if you want to find out you know, more about the training uh, that's available and you may know somebody that's, that needs some training or, uh, you know, might make a very good career for them, check it out at LanierTech.edu, Collision Repair, or you can go to D. Anderson at LanierTech.edu. He is the instructor, and he will be happy to give you information on the Collision, Automotive Collision Repair Program. Uh, exciting news for us engine guys. Now, you don't, mean don't, gasoline engine? Gasoline wow. engines do not do not glaze over on me on this. Okay, okay I'm not. I'm I'm wide. Out. You're, you're familiar with the rotary engine? Oh yeah, right, right. The biggest problem they had with the rotary engine was never the engine braking. Mm-hmm. What was the problem with rotary engines? I don't know. In your memory, uh, they couldn't get the rotors to seal properly okay. when they first came out, uh-huh. and so they would they would. Burn oil like crazy. Mm-hmm. And then once the tip seals got screwed up, then the uh, rotors would start flopping around, and it would beat the, the chambers up. Okay. What, what we would normally call a cylinder is kind of like a uh, elliptical-type 
okay. chamber, yeah, and it's it. not easy to fix. No. Okay. J.B. Weld is not going to take care of it. No. Anyway, they've gotten all that stuff straightened out. So this guy that races boats, mm-hmm. he, Tyson Garvin of Apex Engineering and Design, he started working on, now just use your imagination. Okay. We're going to take a, small, a big block Chevy. Mm-hmm. It's sitting right here on the bench, big block Chevy. Okay. All right, and it's in the shape of a V. Yeah. So you have a cylinder head on one side, cylinder head on the other side, and then the mm-hmm. center is what we used to call or what we call the valley. Okay. You know, where the rods and stuff are right. attached to the crank and moving around. What if you hollowed all that out, mm-hmm. then ran, you know, ran a rotor? Inside of it. Inside of it. Okay, yeah, okay. Not Wait, just you... one rotor. No. Three rotors. Three rotors. In each space. So uh-huh. one, sil- one, one whole bank of the engine would be three rotors. Mm-hmm. One crankshaft, okay. three rotors. All right. On the other side would be one crankshaft, three rotors. Down in the valley would be one crankshaft and three rotors. How do you think this guy dreamed this up? I don't know. But it mounts in the same place as a big block Chevy. It has a big block Chevy bolt pattern, so you can bolt it up the transmission, wow. et cetera, et cetera. It makes 800, it makes 800 foot-pounds of torque, 1,400 horsepower, naturally aspirated, and it'll rev to 10,000 RPMs. That's unbelievable. you got to see it on the YouTube uh, videos okay. where it's on the dyno. But I thought, what a clean design. You know how many moving parts you have? No. Well, you have... A lot. No, you've got, you've got uh, what did I say, 12. You've got, you've got 12 rotors going around. Yeah. That's basically it. Okay. So there are well, no... So you're saying that There's that's... no valves. There's no valve springs. Uh-huh. Well, his theory is Mazda engines... Never broke anything. They just burned oil and, you know, mm-hmm. had had issues with that particular part of the engine. They've gotten all that sorted out from science and, okay. and uh, space-age stuff that they can use to seal uh-huh. these things. And, man, this you, you, you can take the configuration that he's built. You could take half the engine and make it a three-rotor engine if you wanted to. I see. Obviously, you got oiling ports and things like that. Right. But he's going to—this thing runs— and I just thought, man, that is so wow. cool. It doesn't say anything about fuel consumption. It's in a racing boat. Yeah, it's you a mean? racing boat, right. But it'll run wide open for hours on end. Mm-hmm. So go to, the, uh, go to the YouTube channel. It's a guy named uh, Rob Dom, who's an uh, enthusiast on rotary engines. And uh, this, this guy that built the engine sent him one, and then they took it apart on the YouTube video to see how it was put together. And it's one of those, why didn't I think of that yeah. things? Because they've been doing this with the, the Wanko rotary engine, you know, just stacking more mm-hmm. more segments together, making, you know, three, four, five, six rotor engines. Yeah. And uh, so it's doable. And uh, when you see the engineering that he does and stuff, it is just, it's just cool. So it makes you wonder. There's hope for his engine guys yet. Yeah, there is. So, Tim, as you know, when I'm not here doing the radio program and I'm not doing chores around the house with... Lord knows we have enough of those between the two of us. Uh, I, I occasionally, you know, put muscle cars together. Mm-hmm. And every time I put a muscle car together, one of the, the biggest challenges is getting the engine pulleys and accessories and everything all mounted on the engine. Because a lot of times you can't find the original stuff or take, for instance, an air conditioning system or a power steering system. You know, a 50-year-old pump or a 50-year-old compressor isn't worth putting on a car. Right. So you know who I go to to take care of that stuff? I can't wait to hear Concept One. 
Okay. Out of game, out of they are out of coming Georgia. Uh-huh. Local company, uh, family owned. Two sons and their uh, dad. And they've been doing this stuff for over twenty years, and their pulley systems are phenomenal. And they come with the accessories. Okay. And you can get them in different finishes. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they've got stuff for small block Chevys, big block Chevy, small block Ford, big block Ford, FE Fords, and LS engines. Just your basic street system. Mm-hmm. And then they've got LS engine systems that will support 15 PSI of supercharger pressure. Wow. It's called a 10-rib system. Uh-huh. And it also, you know, these are the guys that are trying to go to uh, on these mile runs and trying to set records and stuff at airports and things like that. Okay. Or just want to have a crazy fast car on the street. Yeah. But these, these systems, I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. I've put, uh, I've put four of them on the past couple of years, mm-hmm. all on different cars. The spacers are included. The instructions are included. The accessories are included. The hose fittings are included. And, and they have got the hoses and the fittings available. If you're here in Georgia, they can, they can show you how to clock them and take them somewhere and get them crimped, or they can crimp them for you. Uh, they have remote reservoirs for your power steering because a lot of times – when you're trying to fit an engine that wasn't originally in a vehicle, right. you've got to get creative. These guys are creative. They design the systems. And they were actually students at Lanier Technical College that we talked about earlier, uh, way back when, and took CNC machining and stuff and got mm-hmm. into the design of it. The finishes are, you can get them polished, you can get them satin, you can get them black anodized or clear anodized, and they, they fit. And, so, they're, and they're beautiful. Uh, so no matter what system you're using, aftermarket components like air conditioners, et cetera, that you're putting on an engine, they have a pulley system. No, it will... all comes. It comes with the AC compressor. It comes with the power steering. It comes with the alternator. Oh, my goodness. It's all in a it's package. All there. You don't have to go anywhere and look. And and it's power master alternators and, and starters, uh, not starters, alternators uh, and uh and they use various air conditioning systems, or mm-hmm. most of the uh, the small Japanese ones that you see on the uh, on the cars now. Uh-huh. And it's all there in the box. Wow! You don't have to do anything else. Check so that's them. a huge time saver. Oh yeah! Oh my! Yeah. And it looks so good. And and you know, I had a situation on the car I'm doing right now, which is a Mach One, mm-hmm. where I wanted to use the the regular fan. I didn't want to use electric fans because yeah. of the I'd had a brand new radiator and all that stuff. And they set it up so I could use the, the fan, the stock fan, by machining something off on the, on the front of the pulley so it fit right on like the uh, like original. Wow. And I got all the clearances. The measurements are right. Uh-huh. And I called them, and I said, here's what I got. And they said, not a problem. Get the stuff, too, as your pulley and your fan and stuff, and we'll figure it out so you got the exact same clearance. Wow. That's the, that's the cool thing about it. That the guys you're talking to are the guys that build the systems. Yeah, that saves weeks and weeks and weeks oh, of, man. of trial Chasing around and trying to get stuff and, and get oh, it to my. fit. Bolts are all included. Spacers are included. And the structures are included. And they're so simple, even I can do it. Oh, that's amazing. Check them out at Concept One Pulley Systems. None better on the planet. Okay. Last week, we introduced you to a young man. Sean Mathis from Wheels Through Time Museum, and he, he tar- told us a little bit of the story of how a car guy gets in way deep and runs with a vision and uh, starts out in a small place and expands and expands. And Sean, welcome back in 
to take us through the rest of the museum. Now, last week you took us from where you started, and how many how many cars did you wind up with at the, the first location in Tacoa? Uh, we maxed out about 30 cars. I mean, and it was shoved. They were all butted up next to each other. Not, I mean, wheelchair access was, was not Not something not you there. could do, yeah. So, so you find this place and a person and, and launch into this, and then COVID turns the world upside down. Tell us what you're up to at that point in time. Uh, well, we got kind of lucky in the whole COVID thing because uh, in some sense it, it gave us a little bit more time to get things done. Kept the crowds down. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, it, it, in my mind, we were, we were closing in October, going to spend the winter build, creating a brand new museum, and then we were going to open like normal in April. Um, and it, it was a challenge, uh, much more so than I thought, to get all of that done. I, I think we officially opened by May. Um, and, and the main holdup was just to have the, the town complete enough. But there was stuff like we painted the ceiling. Uh, we painted the ceiling black. We painted all the walls. There, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that needed to just be prepped and be, be ready to have people come in there that we couldn't have cars in there until we did these things. And then we, like, there was a chicken and egg kind of a thing that we had going on that just it, it ate up so much time so the town is it strictly a facade of a town or it's actually each one of those buildings were buildings they they are um aside from the philip 66 station uh, and the diner those are two separate um structures mm-hmm. that do have insides to them uh, the rest of the town is is a row and each one does have uh, an individual section that's uh you know laid out inside as well okay so it would be if you were looking through the window of a place. That's right. You'd see the barber shop. You'd see the, you know, the bakery, whatever it was. So you're 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 looking through the windows. You're not walking into those. Correct. You don't walk into them, but they're also not flat against the wall. They, right. They okay. are 3D. Uh huh. So you have seven cars. Tell us about the seven cars that you start with. One is Grandpa's Cadillac. One's my Cadillac. Um, Truett had a couple Model A's, and then. Uh, uh, we wound up having one other guy that had some other Model A's, and uh, that that was it. I mean, it was literally Cadillacs and Model A's is what we opened the new museum with. Uh, but because I had created a, um, um, you know, I, I had been capturing people's emails, and I had three years of social media, and I, I had a way to reach these people that it wasn't out of the blue that now all of a sudden miles through time went from nothing to something. I had been around for three years, and so you know the. I put it out there of, hey, we in this new location, we're looking for new cars. Um, it, it was, I mean, we got quite a few. Much easier the first or the second time than mm-hmm. the first time. Um, but no we, consignment the second time. No consignment right. at all. They would, I, no this consignment. is just people that, they just store their cars at the museum. Yeah, and, and again, because it was so new, I was, I was very... Uh, loose on it. I was just, mm-hmm. hey, you got a car to put in? Bring it on down. You know, we had a ton of space, and I, I want to say it was within a couple months we filled it again. I mean, it wow. completely packed. And and where, why were people bringing their cars to you? I mean, I understand Truett's got a couple of cars, and, and, you know, you have other folks, friends of friends, that bring a car in, but why did people start coming in to bring you their cars? A lot of them uh, are, are family heirloom vehicles. I mean, that is... That is, if, if 
two different people came in with the same car and one had the story of it being a family heirloom vehicle and the other one is just a car some guy bought, I'm going to take the family heirloom one. I mean, that is the premise of what the museum started with, and that, that is what I predominantly want to have on display. So um, having an outlet where people are like, hey, I've, I've got my dad's car, my granddad's car, or, you know, they, they come out of the woodworks, and, and they, they, they have the same passion as I do, and they just they want people to be able to see it. You know, if they can't do anything with it anyways, and it's sitting in a storage unit or in the basement or something like that, we're able to get it out and, and put it on display. Are all the cars running cars? Most of them are. Okay. Now that we've had a few uh, expansions, I've had a few vehicles uh, come to us that had been uh, donated from other car museums that had not been ran in a long time. So though they should technically run, they haven't. And so I've got to then go through and, and get them so that they're running condition again. Because the vehicles, we, we've had 13 cars donated to us now all in the last three years. Um, and because of the museums, I want to use them. The, the Monster Time is not meant to be a museum where you park a car and then it's no longer ever sees the road again. Mm -hmm. I want I want to use them if they're the museums. I want to take them to events, uh, give rides in them, do things with them. And if they're not the museums and they belong to somebody, I only want them for a short amount of time, enough time to give people an opportunity to come in and see them, and then I want them to take it back so that they can enjoy it on the road. Right, and so that you can constantly turn over what's there for people to look at that's a huge part of it because we we don't have any storage so when you mm -hmm. come to the museum what you see is is what we have there is no back room there's no basement there's no extra building that's it so and you're not out back restoring cars you're trying to get these cars running they're in the museum they've, they've always just been in the museum now we've expanded twice in this new location and the most recent expansion did add a space where uh, eventually I'm going to get a four-post lift and we have the ability to work on vehicles, do workshops, that kind of stuff, and have it not be on the museum floor. Like a few months ago, we had a 65 Falcon and the fuel pump was changed right there on the floor. Owner came in, started up some of his cars. One car wouldn't start. It was the fuel pump. Well, went and got a fuel pump, changed it right there on the floor, and it works now. It works now, but we, I mean, we're getting to the point to where there's so much traffic and so much cars. That's probably not an ideal situation. Right. Uh, so ideally, we'd want to move it off the museum floor, get that kind of work done to it, and then we can we bring, then it, back. bring it back. Yeah. Now, right. you, you mentioned in, in our first episode that we had with you that you were a maintenance guy for uh, Pepsi. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm listening to your story, and I'm, I'm hearing, you know, you're working on cars, you're doing construction. You know, putting the building the the town and all that. Where did you acquire all these these skills that are go way beyond management? Uh, I don't have a lot of skills in that sense. I have the ability to figure things out and help uh, when other people are willing to help me. Uh, so I, I have a lot of people that will come in and they'll, and they'll say, "Hey, I want to help you get this car running, or do this, or, or guys like Truett that have uh, construction skills that he could build anything." And they come in here. And then, you know, I, I don't I don't sit aside and, well, thanks for doing this for me. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. in there and get my hands dirty and, and try to learn from it as well. Uh, you know, my dad and my grandpa, they're both guys that could, they built their own houses. They could build cars and motorcycles and all that kind of stuff. Um, I have less of those skills than I wish I had. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like I like to know that kind of stuff. So I take it as from I may not be able to actually do it myself just yet, but I, if I have the opportunity to to learn to be able to do it, I'm going to be in there right with whoever's helping me to to get things going. 
Okay, so we, we're, we're in the museum, and we've got the seven cars, and the museum so far is named Cadillacs and Model T's. Yeah. Model, and Model A's. And Model A's, all right. My, never mind, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, <laughs> so where are we going from Model A's and T's and, and Cadillacs to your first, your first uh, envision, your first vision of the museum and... Once that vision was complete, where do we go from there? Uh, so uh, what, what happened was, you know, we, we, we just kept getting cars. You know, I, I got a, I mean, and it, the thing is, is I, I had no set vision on to, as to what specific cars. Just to, if, if it, to me, if it was worth somebody seeing, I was like, let's put it in there if we got room for it. It doesn't even have to be what I specifically like, because I, mm-hmm. I know there's other people that like different things, so... Um, you know, if somebody's willing to to bring it in, I took it in. So we, I mean, we had Jaguars and Nissans and um, I mean Pinto Dragster. You know, oh, yeah, uh, we, we know the Pinto Dragster. Th- well. th- there's some <laughs> some cool things, and, and literally what happened was the the museum filled up again real quick. And I was actually bringing in a concept car that got donated to the museum. So that first year in Clarksville, we had our our annual car show there, and a, a guy came and he's like. I've got this concept car sitting in a storage unit in South Carolina. This is where it needs to be. And so he, he donated it to the museum. I'm bringing it in through the back doors after hours because I'm actually, I had to bring it through another business and move their bookshelves out of the way and, and get it into the, the museum. And uh, the guy that owned the flea market uh, came to the back and he's like, by the way, I'm not renewing the lease. So I had just, just started getting comfortable as like, this is a great thing. And now... It's all going out the window because it's his business, the flea market, that's running this whole museum. So I built a museum that, you know, didn't have the infrastructure to manage itself. It's just there. And uh, so, again, I panicked and then talked to my wife, and we decided that we were, we were going to take over the entire lease. And so I did. I took over the entire lease, and uh, I found out that... I didn't like the flea market aspect of everything. I thought a lot of it looked very trashy, and I could only control what was behind the red doors once you went into the museum. So I gutted it all. I got I got rid of all of it, but I created Vintage Garage Antiques. And Vintage Garage Antiques is now what's up front. So when you first walk into the building, you're walking into Vintage Garage Antiques. It, and they, it allowed me to change the whole front facade, the layout when you first walk into it, and then it allowed me to make the first expansion. So I actually doubled the size of the museum once I did this, taking out more of what he, the other guy had his, um, I think it was his consignment flea market type stuff, because the people that had, it was, it was garage sale looking, he wasn't collecting rent off of it or anything, but the reason I did that was because all the, the vendors in there, I, I gridded it all out so they all pay a specific amount per square foot. But their rent pays for all of our rent, Vintage Garage Antiques and Miles Through Time combined. I can't afford all of it from admission alone. The museum literally only gets money from donations and, and museum admission. But when you're talking how much money it costs to even be there, I need to generate revenue from something else. So Vintage Garage Antiques is, is that solution, uh, which also allowed me to control the experience from the minute you pull into the parking lot 
all through the museum, then exit back out through the antiques, which operates as a giant gift shop. And it works out really well, so well that after a year, uh, I expanded not only the antique section again, but the museum added on another 13,000 square feet. Wow. Uh, but the only way we were able to do that was to find out how we could utilize uh, some of the space as vendor space to, again, pay for that additional space. So it, it literally, it's, it, it's actually uh, a terrible business model. It's like um, legal money laundering. It's literally, I collect <laughs> all the rent from all the different vendors, sure. and then I give all of it to the guy that owns the building. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the museum, because of that, uh, gets to prosper on, on the amount of uh, admission that we have coming in and, and donations. And so rather than worrying about, oh, we got, you know, we got to have so many visitors come in and our admission's got to be a certain amount with, and, and, you know, all that formula to even make it successful, it doesn't matter because our bills are paid for, for by Vintage Garage Antiques. Well, and that's two great draws it is. for the same thing. You know, the wife wants to go look at antiques. The husband wants to go look at cars somewhere, and it fills the bill in both counts. It does. And now uh, combined, we're almost 50,000 square feet. The antique store has wow. over 100 different booths. Uh, the museum has almost 100 cars on display. You go there now, and, I mean, you're easily there for a couple hours. Absolutely. A hundred different booths. Yep. Instead of a hundred. Uh, the first time I went in, I don't know how many booths there were, but it, 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 you couldn't tell one, one area from another. It was just that you went from, and, and this is just my take. I'm not an antique guy, okay? But I'd, I just went from, you'd go from one bunch of junk to somebody other. Somebody else's bunch of junk. One one person might be in the records, or one person might be in the old books, or old instruments, or whatever. But none of it seemed. Uh, it, it was very garage saleish looking. It was awful. I remember going past a booth and seeing just a box of dishes on the floor. <laughs> no one's going to buy that, you know. And not only does that booth look like crap, but it makes it so that anybody that that does want to put effort into their booth isn't going to because this person over here is making it look bad. Mm -hmm. And then you've got people that aren't paying any rent, so they're just taking up space. Um, and then you've got you, you had people that were paying as low as like thirty six cents a square foot, uh, all the way up to over a dollar. And there was there was no rhyme or reason behind any of it. I don't operate like that I, I need i need to know the set structure so right that's where i mean i most of them left like i some some stayed but they stayed under the new the new guidelines for how we're going to operate mm -hmm. and and because of that though it, it's not being used as free storage every I mean, a lot of booths have uh, their own branding and names and their own social media pages and you know, they're there constantly and working in, which then gives it the reputation that people want to actually go to this antique store, you know, and, and I mean, you, yeah, you got to have, there, there's people that, that go weekly just to see what's new. That doesn't even include the, the people that are, you know, there for the museum. So I, I can, you know, it's neat because I can, I have the data, right? So I can tell you exactly how many people come through the museum on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Plus all the people that come in and, you know, just shop the antiques. You know, so if you were going to have an antique booth somewhere, you might as well have it at the one that's got a car museum. Right. And, yeah. it, and it, it, I mean, it, it, makes well, perfect it, it sense. works out for a lot of people. Your first concept car, tell us about it. It's a Ford Ghia Arioso. It was a car that when Ford owned Ghia, 
I believe, in 93. This was a four-seater sports car uh, design study. So it's got the fake interior. It's not the full interior. There's no drivetrain in it or anything. It's two heavy-duty axles and plexiglass and fiberglass. Um, they never produced anything like it. If you look up a Puma from the area, yep, that I era, the Puma, yeah. um, it, it looks kind of like that. Um, but it's just a, it's a it's a neat car um, that was sitting in a storage unit that now, and it's the only one in the world. So if you look up Ford Gia Arioso and see the articles and photos that you know were done of it years ago, that is the car that we have on display now. And what a cool place for it to show up. It, it's cool, and it's like it's kind of ugly. But if you, you – and you, you t- almost take it for granted now because you look at it and you're like, it's got 18-inch wheels on it. It's got a panoramic roof. It's got all the stuff that all these cars have nowadays. Yeah, you don't even notice it. But back then, oh yeah, that stuff, that was insane. I mean, they didn't have that big of wheels. They didn't have glass roofs. <laughs> so it's kind of neat to look at it from that standpoint. What are some of the other vehicles as you're going through the museum that you're going to see that, that just, you know, still, still excite you? Uh, it, it's 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 super neat to see what we have in there. Um, you know, we've, we've right now we've got three Porsche 356s. We've got an all original 65 SC. Uh, we've got the Roadster, and then we've got a completely customized one that's actually an inch wider than the stock car, and it it's not really a Porsche anymore, but it it, it still looks really good. We've got a Carroll Shelby 67 GT 500, the one that if you look up the TV commercials from 1967. It is the one in the commercials. That it, is, it is his actual car. Um, that car, we're super grateful to have that in there. How do you wind up with something like that? Uh, that's a, a car that was actually on display at Floyd Garrett's Muscle Car Museum. Uh, and when Savoy opened up in Cartersville and Floyd Garrett's closed down, Savoy paid to have the car brought to them. Well, the guy that owns the car is a Marine veteran out in Texas. And uh, he wants people to see it. And at Savoy, how they operate, they change a gallery every month. So that car would only be on display for a month and then back in storage. And that's not how this guy that owns the car wants the car to be treated. He wants people to see it. So he reached out to me. We put it on display and showcase it seven days a week. Uh, And that's the kind of mentality of the people that have cars on display. You don't have them in there to say that, I'm so great, I've got all these cars. You have them in there because you want people to be able to enjoy them, not just yourself right and and that i mean that kind of makes the whole museum special to me so the the museum is eclectic like you say you've got a pinto dragster in there pinto station wagon dragster belongs to our oh, friend is that james. james yeah james oh, car. that He's is a, such a cool car that's super cool i remember helping him put the roof on it because it's a it's a roof out of a dodge van is it yeah it, you know anyway that's that's getting off in the weeds here the the cars that you have are not necessarily one-off, spectacular, over-the-top cars. That's that's not what you're looking for, as yeah. I understand it. No, um, and that's the thing is I, I get hit with, uh, well, it's not museum quality. I'm like, yeah, well, what does that mean? Yeah, you what know, does that mean? Uh, we've got cars that are better than what they were when they were brand new. Mm-hmm. And we've got cars that are completely restored. We've got cars that are completely unrestored. We've got cars that need to be restored. Uh, it all just depends on the story behind them. That's you the know, beauty of it. We've got a uh, 74 Bricklin. That car uh, belongs to the museum, and it will be restored at one point uh, once we get the funds for it. 
But for now, we share the story of Malcolm Bricklin and it being the Canadian DeLorean and, you know, predates the DeLorean that, and nobody's even heard of it. And he was so far ahead of his time that it didn't have an ashtray or a spare tire. <laughs> well, oh, see, that's how far ahead of his time he was. Well, he yeah, saw this that's cover. where we're at now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, uh, you know, it, it, took, uh, it took three years, but I finally got the DeLorean out of the barn in there as well. So now we display the DeLorean and the Bricklin together. And neither one of those cars are immaculate. I mean, I, we can't afford to be in immaculate versions of the cars unless somebody was like, hey, I've got them. You want to put them on display? And that just that hasn't happened. So yeah. we work with what we got. Well, what's the story of, you know, getting the, either one of those cars, because I watched some of your videos and stuff, getting either one of those cars ready to even have anybody look at it. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the DeLorean. So the DeLorean... Um, that that belonged to a guy that, that came into the museum before we even officially opened. We we had a Corvette group come in and uh, before we opened and let them check out the museum. And this was one of the guys that came in and was like, look at all these cars that I also own, and I've got a DeLorean. And at the time, we were needing cars, so Truett and I went to his house and uh, checked out his cars, and he definitely has some, some cool cars. And I was like, where's that DeLorean? And he's like, ah, oh, it's at my other barn. So I go down there, and it's a... Uh, Dirt ground, um, just a covered barn, uh, tarp walls, and the DeLorean sitting there in the dirt, uh, covered in bird poop. I mean, it was just absolutely awful. You couldn't see in the windows, and so I tried to get it from him right then and there, and, and he wasn't going to do... He wasn't interested in it going anywhere. And I hounded this guy for three years to try to just to get it out of there. I mean, I... I didn't have a way of actually buying the car. The museum didn't have the money to buy the car. I don't have the money to buy the car myself just to have it sit in the museum. So I literally just was like, let me pull it out and, you know, treat the car how it should at least be treated. It's stainless steel, right? So it, you yeah. know, we can make it look pretty good. Um, but it never worked out for three years. And then I wound up getting the Bricklin. And I got the Bricklin into the museum, and that was another one that we needed to have detailed and, and have it look presentable in the museum and uh, Detail Mafia reached out and they're like hey we want to come in there and we want to we want to do that for you we want to detail it and make it look as good as it possibly can be and I was like that's awesome but I really need you guys for this DeLorean if I could just get it and so the timing of all that was was happening and then the AACA museum wound up donating Monster Garage's uh, Mini Cooper snowmobile and so I went up and got the Mini Cooper snowmobile from Monster Garage that Jesse James did back in 2003. I'm towing it back to the museum. I reach out to the guy with the DeLorean. I'm like, I'm bringing this car to the museum. Detail Mafia is coming out for this Bricklin we just got. I'd really like them to, to do the DeLorean. Can I get it? And at this, he's like, what time? That was the most I had ever gotten out of this guy to ever, like, even come close to getting this car. And so I was like, I'm going to drop this car off, and I'm going to come get it right then. So I literally got to the museum, unloaded the snowmobile Mini Cooper, and went and got the, pulled the DeLorean out the same day. And then Detail Mafia came out and detailed both cars at the same time. Wow. And so now they're both on display together, and uh, the DeLorean you'd never know was was in the condition that it was in. So did the owner of the DeLorean, was he saying, yes, they can detail it, or yes, you can have it, when you called him? Technically, yes, I could get it. 
Um, it is a very complicated situation that I still don't know what will happen in the end. It's gone from the car will be donated to the museum to I have first rights to purchase the car. Um, I, I, I don't know at this point. I, I took a gamble. Ultimately, uh, but it's on display. It's on display, and it ate at me for three years that that car was in that condition. I could not stand it. Are both of these cars runnable cars, drivable cars? So the DeLorean uh, has been submerged. Mm-hmm. Uh, that car, once, once I, so, so I, the one door handle was broken, and I couldn't get it open. Uh, the other door handle wouldn't release, and I, he told me to go ahead and try again. I broke the other door handle. So you have two broken door handles. The car was in gear with a spare tire on it. We dragged it out. I tried to winch it out with my trailer. It broke. It broke my winch. Then we got a tractor and dragged it out and then dragged it onto the trailer. Once it was at the museum, I was able to break the rest of the door handle off and grab the cable with the set of pliers. Got the doors up. That was the first time I'd even seen inside this thing. And you could see the whole thing was had been covered in silt. And you could tell his, his uh, creek had raised. And, and I mean, it it submerged the car. So if it wasn't stainless steel, that car would be completely junk. Uh, but it cleaned up really well. But you're talking restored. It's Ooh. it's going to it's going to take a chunk of money to oh, to yeah. get that thing roadworthy again. Which I'd love to do. We just don't have the budget to do it. And so I mean, to me, it, at least it looks presentable and mm. people get to enjoy it. it. It's like the number one most requested car on display. It has been for years, and it it could just be because those people are louder. You know, they think of Back to the Future, and, and yeah, they're like, yeah, I, I just want to so. see that car. And I've gone to a lot of car museums, and there's a DeLorean in almost every single one of them. <laughs> DeLorean, you know, is spectacular in its in its realm, but you got some pretty just normal, everyday cars in the museum. Why are they there? Uh, most of them, it's it's because they they mean something to somebody. Um, you know, I tell people, you can look up the stats of any of these cars. The stats aren't really what we have on the signs. With every car, you, you, you read the story. You, mean, you, you learn about that car. You know, we've got, uh, I don't know if you know who Ed Bullion is and, and Vin Wicky, um, but he, he's a big YouTuber, and, and Cannonball Racing mm-hmm. is, is right. something he does. Well, we've got his Cannonball cars in a museum. Now, if you're not familiar with it and you see these, these two old Mercedes sitting in the corner, you're like, why are these cars in here? Because the, the 2904 S-Class Mercedes he has, it's rough. I mean, they, they coated stuff on the paint to get rid of the shine while it raced, and it, like, crackled the paint. It looks absolutely awful. And the Mercedes uh, CL that he, he actually had the, the Cannonball record for in a, for a while, um, it's a nice car, but it... it it's not one that you would say, well, that belongs in a museum. It's just, it, it's a fast car, I'll tell you that. But it, it, it's not a museum car. But it's not until you read about the car that you're like, oh, you know, this car went from New York to L.A. in, is it, 28 hours and 53 minutes or Yeah, it was something. some ridiculously yeah. Yeah. short time. Yeah. It, which then makes it very interesting. So you've got the people that, that they, know, they know exactly what that car is. Mm-hmm. They know who Ed is. They know Van Wicky. They know what Cannonball is, and they love it. And they're like, that's awesome that car is in here. And then you've got the other ones that are like, what is this all about? And then I watch those ones. I'm like, are they going to read the sign, or are they just going to pass by it? Because if you pass by it, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But if yeah. you read it, you're like... That's super interesting because I don't care who you are. Driving across the country and only stopping for 45 minutes, right. 
That's crazy. That's... I mean, I just drove from California to, to Georgia, and it took me a week, and mm. it sucked. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like drive, driving it in, in a day is crazy. How about a plane, Jane? You were telling me uh, off-air about a 65 Mustang, I think it was. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what was the point with that car? It's, you know. So the 65 Mustang, which isn't in there anymore, um, but it was in there. But it's, it's, it's atypical of it, what it, you're it, looking for. Yeah, yeah it, was just, it was just a basic car, uh, nothing real special about it. But the owner of that car purchased it specifically to help with the coping of losing her father. And that is the story we shared. If you, if you stopped and read the sign about that car, you would read, that is why it was in there. It's not the car. I mean, it's, it's what the car represents. You know, and if it's not that, it's, you know, something else that was going on in the area. There's so many other interesting things about these cars that have nothing to do with the car itself. It just happens to be the object in front of you. But you can, you can learn so much more about it. And, you know, sharing that particular story, let people know, like, maybe you're not a car person, but, you know, this this car meant a whole lot to this lady that so much so that like, it, it helped her with a difficult time in her life. You know, it could have been any object, but it was this 65 Mustang. Well, Tim and I talk more than we would like to on the radio show about electric vehicles uh, because uh, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't go anywhere and not hear, see, whatever about electric vehicles. Or What's your displays of uh, electric vehicles right now? Uh, right now, we've got a, a sculpture of an original Studebaker electric. Um, we, we actually have quite a few full-size sculptures now. One's uh, also a, uh, a um, Stanley steamer, which is cool, another you know, fuel type of vehicle. And then we've got a Zen electric, which is a Canadian car. It was actually donated to us by Jeff Lane from Blaine Motor Museum. Okay. Um, and he donated the Zen, uh, which is an electric. He donated a Mako, which is a two-stroke German car, and a Legere, which is a French right-hand drive uh, diesel. So we, we kind of diversified the, the various fuel options. Alternative well. fuels, yeah. Where do you see this going with, uh, with not electric cars? Where do you see the museum going? As we move forward, so the the museum. If you if you think about how far we've come in a short amount of time with literally no money, um, it's impressive on its own. Um, and although I'm the founder of the museum, I'm not doing it by myself. I can tell you that it's it's the more people that learn about the museum and they're like, I want to get involved in one way or another, whether it's you know being a volunteer docent or having a car on display or donating a car or donating money or objects or, you know, just being there and helping at events. Like, it, it all helps to have the whole thing just get bigger and bigger. Well, we're at the point now that we're almost 50,000 square feet in a building that's not ours. Wow. Our next move is for the museum to own its own facility. Mm -hmm. That is the long-term end goal. I created Miles Through Time to outlast me. I do not want it to end with me. If I died tomorrow, I don't want it to be the end of the museum. If I make it to 90 years old and, you know, I'm not really doing anything in the museum anymore other than, you know, going in there and talking to people, that would be fantastic. You know, I, will, I created it to become something much grander. You know, it's what people, people that are involved with the museum and see it now 
are seeing something hopefully very grand at its infancy. You know, one day, you know, maybe we become something large and well-known like Gilmore or Peterson or something like that. But, you know, our origin story is much different from all the other ones. Oh, yeah. Right. We we do not have a wealthy benefactor. You know, maybe that changes one day and, and maybe that takes it to the next level. But... You know, for for right now, it's I describe it as a co-op because it literally is. It's it's only there because there's a bunch of different people that want to want to be a part of it and and are doing what they can to help spread the word. I'm gonna I, read. I'm gonna read your shirt here. Miles through time, where the pedal meets the past. How can folks learn more about Miles through time? Uh, our website is milesthroughtime.com or pretty much on all so- social media outlets at Miles through time. Sean Mathis, thanks for uh, you know coming in and sharing your story with us. Uh, the local people, we want them to head up to the museum in Clarksville. Um, the people worldwide, we want them to look you up online and make it a destination. They, w- they will not be disappointed. Absolutely. Sean Mathis, thanks for taking the time to be with us here, Bud Scratch. Thanks for having me. How about the movies, Tim? You ready to go to the movies? Oh, yeah. We need to go see this movie, all right? This mm-hmm. is a true story. So this is a new release? Yeah, it came out August 11th. I haven't had okay. a chance to see it yet. But it's based on the story of uh, Jan Martinborough, mm-hmm. 20-year-old who won a GT Academy Europe Sims racing series, all right? Now, I'm, I'm going to take you back in time here. We go back to 2006, I think it was. Okay. And a Nissan executive thought, I wonder if these guys that run these, uh, these sim racers could do this in real time. So in 2006, Nissan executive, his name is Darren Cox, is played by Orlando Bloom in the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, oh, yeah, I know Orlando. Okay, okay good. Uh, he started the GT Academy, a worldwide competition to find the fastest Gran Turismo players. This 20-year-old kid at the time had built his his rig out of plywood and MDF and put pedals and a steering wheel on it. And he entered the competition, and he beat 90,000 other competitors Wow! at this E-race. And the top 10 got to go to Nissan and get in cars to see how they could do it on cars. Mm-hmm. And he eventually became a professional driver. Movie ratings are good. Tim and I are going to go watch it. We're going to tell you more about it, but it's a true story. Oh, yeah. The car guys may want to check out Gran Turismo. Okay? You buying the popcorn? I will. Okay. Okay. If you're a classic muscle car restoration guy, there is a company here in Georgia that has been behind the scenes for a long time, and they are... Year one. Year one. The muscle car experts in Cornelia, Georgia. Yeah, they're in Cornelia now. They've moved from Brazelton. They're such good folks, and they keep in touch with you, you know, when they've got a part that hasn't come in. Uh, Parts are getting much better since the pandemic as far as receiving them. Uh, right. And they've got a, an email blast that goes out every week that we're we're part of now, thank goodness. And, uh, you know, they've joined the podcast, and, and we want to keep the hobby going. And they are the people that keep the hobby going with the classic car restoration stuff. Not only the the parts you can buy, you can actually buy assembly manuals and stuff. And those things I have found to be priceless. Oh, yeah. I take pictures. I put stuff in baggies. But, you know, six months later, you go back and you right. look at it and you think, what the, gosh, what the heck was, where the, was where it? Where did that go? How uh, did that go? Yeah. So what you do is you go to yearone.com and you get the catalog that pertains to your car. Mm-hmm. I, I always suggest you get the catalog, even if you you're, you know, want to go online, and order your parts and all that kind of stuff. Get the catalog because you can sit and relax and flip through the pages and, and put 
I put paper clips on them or dog ear them or whatever, and you always see something that's easy to miss on the computer sometimes. Exactly. It's so, much simpler to and, look at them. And manual. if you need additional information, you have an actual person on the phone that you can talk to. You don't have to do the... You can chat, but you don't have to. Right. Okay. And I'm, I'm not a chatty kind of guy. I want to talk to someone. Say, how you doing? <laughs> you know. Is it snowing where you are? Yeah, right. <laughs> What's your weather like today? And if you're year1.com ordering parts, just punch in the secret code BUD20, and that'll get you 20% off your order on all discountable items. Check them out at year1.com. Time for some thank yous, Tim. Okay. We want to thank the great folks at Jacobs Media for the studio and the producer, Bill Wilson, producer extraordinaire. Uh, putting this together for us every week on the radio side and the podcast side. Of course, the great folks at Year One, Muscle Car Restoration folks, Lanier Technical College, and Concept One Pulley Systems. And a special shout-out to Sean Mathis for coming back and, you know, finishing the podcast with us, the discussion we had about uh, Miles Through Time Museum. It's definitely a destination point. Oh, yeah. If you're, you know, traveling this way and you're in the south, uh, check it out. It's in the North Georgia Mountains. A little town called Clarksville, and they got you know they got places to stay and restaurants and stuff like that, and you could spend a couple days at the museum, no mm-hmm. doubt. So, oh yeah, and big fun. You know, if you get there when Sean's around, just ask for him. He'll he'll tell you all the little nitty gritty things that make a museum like that so interesting. And each of the cars has also got a placard and stuff that tells why the car is there. Sometimes it looks like a plain Jane, but when you read the story behind why the car is there. Mm-hmm. That's why all people have a car story. Oh, yeah. Uh, of some kind. So, Tim, you know who our guest is next week on the podcast? No, who? None other than Kevin King, the founder of Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration. Wow. Cars. He's going to tell us how he came from, you know, a single car garage to a big international company now. Right. And they, right. Uh, and they keep American performance going. Well, I can't wait. That's going to be very interesting. That'll be good. Yeah, he knows mm-hmm. He knows all the good folks, Chip Foos and all the people that are in the industry. And he's helped us out so many, many times when I was teaching and here on the podcast and that. And his whole his whole crew of guys are great, Pat Staten and all the rest of them. Oh, yeah. So he'll be in next week to tell us uh, all about the world of high-performance uh, restoration parts. Okay. Well, that'll be good. Uh, if you want to check out our radio show, Bud's Garage, on Terrestrial Radio, you can go to Access WDUN, which is a free app for your phone, and uh, you can click the links, push the buttons, and listen to the show, uh, you know, the week that's recorded. And then if you want to listen to the shows from the beginning of the year, go to the podcast site you're at right now and just put in Bud's Garage. And, of course, Bud's Garage Overdrive, which is our, our delegated podcast. And we just thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us here uh, whenever you're listening. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here at Bud's Garage Overdrive.